I've got a few announcements for you. I'm going to go on and give you. Okay, so um, if you have not turned in any deacon nominations and you plan on doing that, we need you to do it today. So uh, we've been taking those now for several weeks. And uh, if you have any last ones you want to put in, please do it before you leave this morning. And you can, uh, you can do that. Um, there's cards on the table over here. And if you want to mention it to somebody, one of the leaders, you can come up and tell us also if you don't have a card. Okay, so that is something we would ask you to do. Another thing that is coming up, March the 7th, ladies, this is for all the women in the church. There's going to be a dinner, and it's going to be $5 here at the church at 6 o'clock. It'll be a fun time of fellowship, and uh, if you'd like to be a participant in that dinner if you would sign up on the table. Uh, we've got Bible studies that are going on during the week, and I got a specific announcement about our women's Bible study. There is two different groups that meet right now on Tuesdays. This Tuesday, two days from now, they're all going to meet one time because Beth is out of town. So both groups are going to meet here at the church at 10 o'clock. So if you're a part of that women's Bible study on Philippians, Tuesday, you will meet at the church at 10 o'clock, both groups. And uh, our Barnabas ministry is going to be an encouragement ministry. And uh, a lot of people have mentioned they're excited about that. If you would like to be a part of that, the first meeting will be on February the 15th at 6 o'clock. So if you want to be a part of that, if you have an obligation that night, you'll still be able to get connected but that will be the initial meeting, February 15th at 6 o'clock. And so we would love for you to be a part of that ministry. So good morning. I hope you had a good week. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. If you bow your head, I want you just to consider 
why you're here, consider uh, in the busyness of this morning, let's just take time to, uh, to go to the Lord and uh, to just talk to him and mindful of the fact that we come not just as individuals, but we come as a corporate body. So if you bow your head, just take some time and go to the Lord and, and whatever you need to express to him in this moment, go to him. Pray that he would speak to you today. There could be sin that you need to confess, you need to deal with in your heart before him. Go before him right now in an attitude of prayer. Father, I thank you that we can boldly, with confidence, come before you through the work of your Son. That while we are unrighteous, Jesus is our righteous one who is perfectly good and perfectly obedient. And we praise you because he took the place and the substitute for our sins on the cross. And we praise you that it's only by grace through faith in his perfect work on the cross that we can experience forgiveness of sins. And we thank you, Lord, that we are a community of faith, of people that have been called out of this world into this marvelous salvation. I pray today as we look at your word, we would learn what it means to live and walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that if there are people that are in this place that have never understood the gospel, I pray even this morning they would see that it's not of works, it's not what they do to seek to be better or earn favor with you because that's impossible. But it's only by grace through faith and what Jesus did for us. And I pray that that would be clear as we look at your word and everything that we do this morning, I, I pray that we would glorify you. I thank you for this church body. I thank you for... Um, the joy and the gift of being a pastor here, Lord. And I pray that um, you would continue to work in our lives, that you would take what we're learning in every different ministry available at this church. I pray that it would encourage us as to how to live in light of the promises that we read in your word. I pray that it would equip us to, to walk with you in different areas that we face it would help us to be better dads and moms and students and, and sons and daughters, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would know what it means to live the Christian life. And we give you this morning, I thank you for the blessing of being able to come together for the purpose of worshiping you. I pray that as we sing, it would glorify you. I pray as we hear your word read that it would encourage us as to what is true and that we would hear it as a community of faith. I pray that as we look at your word in the sermon that it would be a corporate time of worship, that we would all be dependent on your truth to change us and that we would be transformed as we look at it and reflect on it this morning. We give 
you this time. And I pray that you'd be glorified and honored in all that takes place. I pray for those that are hurting today. I pray they'd find comfort in your word. I pray that those who feel broken and needy and just scared, I pray that they would understand that they're in the right place because we find comfort and we find hope in your promises. And I pray today your spirit would enable that to happen, that those who are weary and overwhelmed and broken, I pray today they would realize they are welcome because there's hope in your truth. There's hope in the work of your son. And so I pray, Lord, collectively, that as we gather, that we would be changed, that we would be encouraged. But above all else, I pray that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And God, I do, I thank you for your amazing, transforming grace that uh, continues from our point of salvation to the rest of our lives that uh, you are so gracious and you you keep transforming us um, into uh, a likeness of your son lord i pray that we all will uh will gear down from all the stuff going on in the world and in our daily lives and lord that we have come in here that we are that we will gear up to uh to worship you in a way that would be pleasing to you that you will be with Mike as he leads us in song and Steve as he uh, as he teaches the word but again thank you for your your precious grace and your love and your mercy in Christ's name amen good morning as we go before the throne of grace today and all the power of Jesus is in the blood of Christ that saves us let's stand and worship today Power 
I see that you were drawn a line in the sand. I want to be standing by your side, holding your hand. So let your kingdom come, let it live in me. This is my prayer, this is my plea. Let the worshipers arise. Let the sun. The daughters sing. I'm surrendering my all. I surrender to the I surrender to the King.
Father, we come now where our hearts turn to um, what we can offer, though they should always be there. Lord, I'm reminded in those words, grace taught my heart to fear. Lord, it's only by your enabling grace that we can even know where we stand before you. And God, we thank you for that, because left to our own, we have no clue where we stand before a holy God. And, and just like in the practice of medicine, where somebody has to know they have a disease before they need to know that they have a cure, Lord, they, we have to know where we stand before you, a holy God, a perfect God, and then we can experience the grace that you showed us through your son. And so, God, I pray all of us would understand exactly where we stand in front of, or in, in, in your sight apart from Christ and then now within Christ. And, Lord, that grace then enables us to, we can't help but want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But, Lord, even just practical applications, our time and our money, offering our time, Lord, to serve you in our marriages, in, uh, in our roles as parents or as grandparents or as employers or as employees or church members or whatever. And, Lord, the grace enables us to also want to cheerfully give um, in whatever format that might be, but that should, Lord, naturally out, uh, work itself out that we are giving of our time and our money to serve you. And I pray, Lord, that above all, we would mostly remember to give, as I said before, our bodies as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue our worship.
Fathers, we open your word. I pray that we would have wisdom to know how to apply it to our life and that you would help us. Father, we all deal with a temptation to be fearful, a temptation at times to be, to be ashamed, to, to live out of fear or concern over circumstances or what the world thinks. And I pray that as we look at Second Timothy, that we would understand how you've equipped us to live unashamed and how you've equipped us to live bold, even willing to suffer for the gospel of your son. So Lord, help us as we look into this. I pray that we'd have wisdom and I pray that you would change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, what we're going to do is read the section we're going to be going over this morning. We're going to start back in verse 3 and keep going all the way up until verse 8. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Many of you have heard the story of Polycarp. Polycarp, who was a disciple of John. And Polycarp was a man who loved Jesus, and in his old age, as the bishop of Smyrna, was facing suffering because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And as he was facing the prospect of death, he stood before the proconsul, and the proconsul tried to get Polycarp to deny Jesus. And he said to Polycarp, swear by the fortune of Caesar, take the oath and I will release you. Curse Christ. The bishop stood firm, and reading here from this book of martyr stories, Polycarp says, 86 years have I served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul threatened, I have wild beasts ready and will throw you to them if you do not change your mind. Let them come, for my purpose is unchangeable, replied Polycarp. If the wild beasts don't scare you, then I will burn you with fire, said the proconsul. 
You threaten me with a fire which will burn for an hour and then will go out, but you are ignorant of the fire of the future judgment of God reserved for the everlasting torment of the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on the beast or the fire or whatever you choose. You shall not move me to deny Christ my Lord and Savior. What boldness in the faith. It goes on and he stands in the fire after he faces all of this other, these other threats. And when they put him in to the place where he's going to be burnt, they bring out dry wood. They heap it in the center of the arena for a big bonfire. And they're about to nail him to the stake. And, and, and it's reported historically that Polycarp said, leave me as I am. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to remain still within the fire. They agreed to this, simply tied his hands behind his back with a rope. And then he prays, Oh, Father, I thank you that you have called me to this day and hour and have counted me worthy to receive my place among the number of the holy martyrs. Amen. And then they lit the fire. The flames rose high above his body. The story here is like th that he stood within the fire like an offering before his Savior. What gives an individual that type of boldness? What gives an individual the strength to stand in the midst of suffering? If by the grace of God, he can enable Polycarp to stand in the flames, he can enable us in our workplace to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. He can enable us to not be ashamed of the gospel when it comes to friends who will mock us, when it comes to people who will make fun of us for being a Christian. I've told you this story before, but I was 18 years old and I was a freshman playing basketball in a little bit of NEI school in South Georgia. And uh, now it's, it's come full circle. Used to back then, it was very rare to have NCAA Division I players past 22 years old. Now they go, it seems, to 30. But, um, but NAI was different. And we had a lot of guys that were in the National Guard. And they, uh, some of them were 24 and 25. So I was an 18-year-old kid, and there was a kid on our team named Darrell. Darrell looked like Carl Malone, if you know old NBA history. But he didn't play like Carl Malone. He looked like him, though. We called him franchise because when he got off the bus, he looked like the franchise. But... He normally would drop the passes when we threw Tim in the post. But Darrell was a big guy. He was intimidating. He was 24 years old. And I remember he walked in my room one time to use my phone to call his girlfriend. And uh, I had long distance. I was the only one that had long distance in my dorm room. And he walked in. And when he walked in, he saw my Bible on my desk. I'll never forget it. He picked it up. He looked at it, big old 6'9 Darrell. And he looked back at me and he said, that's, that's cute. That's cute. And he, put, he threw my Bible down, just sort of slammed it down and grabbed that phone. You know, I'll be honest with you. There was a temptation for me to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people know you're a Christian, how are you going to respond? Are you going to cower back and are you going to look for ways to sort of uh, mitigate the damage? Uh, what am I going to do? I'm a Christian. They know I'm a Christian. How far am I going to take this? We're looking at a passage where here's a pastor of the church at Ephesus. You study Ephesus in history and as an immoral, 
Uh, it was a place where filled with pluralism, filled with just depravity to the extreme. And Timothy's pastoring the church there, and he's dealing with the saints who are in that church. And Paul, his mentor, is writing to him. And the key to this whole section that I want you to look at as we get started, just to be reminded, it really anchors the entire section from verse 3 all the way to verse 18. It's the verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And what we're going to unpack as we go through this section is six reminders of why Timothy should not be ashamed of the gospel. And we started last week. And the first one that we examined, just to review quickly, is he says, Timothy, remember your faith. Remember your faith. What did we learn about that faith? It was a genuine, sincere faith. And Paul mentions Lois. He mentions Eunice. He mentions his grandmother and his mother. And then he says, and I'm sure that same faith dwells in you. A faith that he just referred to in the text as genuine without hypocrisy. It was real. What you see on the outside is what you get on the inside. It's the real thing. Don't forget it. Don't, don't forget your faith, Timothy. And we looked last time a little bit in the backdrop of Pauline theology. If you look you know, at all that we learned from Paul as he is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we learn a faith that we have that's sincere is God-given. It's not something we work up on our own. It's not something that we excel in as humans. If sincere, genuine faith exists, it's because the Holy Spirit has put it there and he is manifesting it in our life. And, and Paul is saying, this is, this, is, this is crucial to you, Timothy. But not only remember your faith, remember your gift. Remember your gift. You know, we talked about last time, he had received a gift as a pastor, and God had equipped him for service in all the ministry that he was going to do. And, and, and here, the, the text specifically says, it says something unique. It says, I'm reminded of your faith. And then he goes down, he says in verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what does he mean? He, he, it's, it's like he's speaking of his ordination. And what is that talking about? There's a lot of different thoughts. The one I really believe nails it is a guy in, in one commentary, the New American commentary. He says this, the laying on of hands was not the cause of Timothy's receipt of a spiritual gift, but was a visible representation and symbol of it. They recognized the gift that God had given Timothy. And he had a gift. He had a gift as a pastor. He had a gift to do what God had called him to do. It's encouraging that um, God doesn't uh, call the equipped. He equips the called. And God enables us to serve, and God enables us with a spiritual gift. And last time we looked at the fact that spiritual gifts are not just for the spiritual elite, spiritual gifts are for the body of Christ. So if you're in Christ Jesus, we could study everything we could learn about spiritual gifts, and you would learn that you have a spiritual gift. 
And so you are, according to what we learned from Paul telling Timothy, an implication from his direct application to Timothy, we are to fan into flame the gift of God. I read several quotes to you last time, but I picked out a few that I didn't mention to you. Albert Barnes says, however rich the gifts which God has bestowed upon us, they do not grow of their own accord, but need to be cultivated by our own personal care. The question I've got for you as we get started is, are you neglecting the spiritual gift God has given you? Are you neglecting it? Are you cultivating it? Are you cultivating it? Are, are, are you being negligent of it? Apathetic of it? John Gill, the old commentarian, he says, the apostle puts him in mind to stir it up. And he goes on down and he says, and these may be re-inflamed or increased when they seem on the decline by reading, meditation, prayer, and the frequent exercise of them. Fan in the flame the gift of God, Timothy, that God has given you. Don't neglect it. Don't put it on the sideline. Be aware of it. John Wesley said, get on fire for God and men will come and see you burn. Guthrie says, there is no necessary suggestion that Timothy had lost his earthly fire, although undoubtedly, like every Christian, he needed an incentive to keep the fire burning at full flame. Uh, fan the flame. And we talked a little bit last time, and just to remind you, pray about what is your spiritual gift? If you've never even considered it, pray about it. And, and, and pray about it, but seek not to just be someone looking for their spiritual gift. Seek to be a follower of Christ in pursuing his clear, revealed will. Just study God's word. You know, it's amazing. I was talking to, working as a student pastor for years, and I always thought it was refreshing when you get honest, non-scripted questions from young people. They're really to the point, you know, like, well, how do I follow God? Well, we'll get in his word and read it. And to the best of your ability, as you pray about it, seek to follow it. Seek to follow it. You know, that's advice we could all put into practice. And as you seek to follow God's will that is clear, as you pray for God's strength and being obedient to what he's revealed then, then look for Christians to be around. Don't neglect the body of Christ. I think that, you know, the, there's a modern phenomenon of Christians doing Christian, Christianity solo, and that's not what we read about in church history. You don't do the Christian life with your Bible app and with good praise music. You need a congregation of believers. You grow in a community of faith. We need one another. And as you get into that community, as you're accountable to that community, look for ways to serve, pray for wisdom, study the passages that deal with the gifts. Like last time we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses six through eight. And, and, and as you seek to serve the Lord, pray that he would use you. Notice how people affirm your effectiveness in different areas. All these things are considerations as we contemplate how we can put into practice what Paul tells Timothy. But this morning, let's jump into our third reminder. Not only remember your faith, not only remember your gift, 
remember his resources. Remember his resources. We read something as he tells him to fan into flame the gift. I think it's really interesting that he immediately follows that up in verse 7 and says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God gave us not a spirit of fear. We can't say for certain whether or not this implies that Timothy was cowering back a little bit as the pastor of Ephesus. We don't know for sure, but we can take it to the bank that the temptations that we all deal with are temptations that were common to Timothy. And I mentioned some last time, but, you know, we read at the end of 1 Timothy, which would have been four years prior, that he was dealing with a lot of physical ailments. He, 1 Timothy 5.23 speaks about that. Um, we can think about the fact that he's young. He says, let no one despise you for your youth in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Uh, sometimes it would be very likely for someone who is young to be intimidated by even older believers that they're called to serve. That could be a temptation. This could be an inference to the possible fear that's setting in. I mean, you know, even in verse 4 of 2 Timothy 1, he says, I remember your tears. Tears can be simply sadness, but they could illustrate a tiny bit of fear in the fact that Paul was moving on to the next place of ministry. We don't know. We don't want to read into that, but we can all relate to fear. I don't trust people who say they don't understand what this is like. Because what we find here is that Paul is saying, Timothy, when you experience fear, be mindful of the fact that it wasn't something that was given to you by God. And understand the kind of resources that God provides. And, and he mentions the three that are positive, but I want you to think with me a little bit about fearfulness. There was an old preacher out in uh, Palo Alto, California, that impacted me several years ago, a guy by the name of Ray Stedman. And Ray Stedman wrote, he says, I don't know any statement in Paul's writings that is more practically important to us. And he says, because if you are like me, you are oppressed and assaulted by a spirit of fear most of the time. Anxiety, worry, trembling about what is going to happen a sense of terrible disaster looming, of chaos and crisis that is about to break upon us. These are forms of fear. This is the spirit of fear. This verse says that these do not come from God. Did it ever occur to you that Christians are forbidden to fear? I love the honesty of Pastor Stedman, and I think his transparency resonates with people that look at their own weaknesses. Timothy God has not given us a spirit of fear. Have you ever thought about how the people that God uses in powerful ways are people that become aware of their own inadequacy and they're face-to-face -face with their own inability? I, I came across a quote from Hudson Taylor. He says, depend upon it. 
God's work done in God's way will never lack supplies. And then he says, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. I want you to think about that. I think sometimes we have the wrong connotation of the Christian life. We think the Christian life is lived by those who are very powerful and strong, but we come to the scripture and we learn it's in my weakness his strength is perfected. It's in my inability that God takes those who have no resources and enables them by his spirit in Christ Jesus to live the Christian life. Are you fearful? Again, it could be a fear of uh, what people think about you. That's a terrible way to live, isn't it? An over-concern with what people think. What do people think about me? How do people think of me? What do people think about what I'm wearing? What do people think about my personality? What do people think about my athleticism or lack thereof? What do people think about my Christianity. And, and, and what we find here is, is, is this idea of that's emphasized in all of Paul's writings is that if we're going to live effectively for Jesus Christ, we have to become aware of who we are in Jesus Christ. We have to become aware of our identity in Christ. And, and I think about it because if we're anybody that's older than 25 or 30, I think you can relate to those types of fears beginning at a young age as a teenager when you're thoughtful of like what others think. And, and I want you to think of this because you got a young pastor in a very volatile place of ministry. And he says, look, he did not give us a spirit of fear. Fearfulness is an awful thing. It can cripple us. The word is related. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's used over in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus is teaching the disciples about fear. The idea of timidity. It's lacking courage, lacking self-confidence, lacking boldness, lacking determination. It's being a coward. It's, it's lacking courage or resolution. And, and so he's saying, Timothy, that's not the way that God has gifted you. Today, remind yourself of what Paul says to the church at Corinth. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I find that uh, in my counseling experiences, it's anecdotal because I only counsel so many people, but in my own experience, more than half of people that come to me, come to me with issues of fear, with issues of anxieties and issues of worries, and they relate back to fear. And it takes one to see one, and I've someone, I've told you honestly about my own struggles with fear, my own struggles with worry, my own struggles with anxiety. I want us to be reminded of the reality that fear is not 
that which comes from God. Listen to some of these verses, because if you're with me today and you're thinking, okay, he's talking about something I struggle with, I want you to be encouraged, because the exhortation that Paul gives Timothy is applicable to you. This is God's word. And, and Romans says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You remember when we were going through how Jesus is our great high priest, we talked about what are the conclusions we get out of looking at the gospel. And one of those that is so rich is when the author says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And then he says, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ has the strength to deliver you from any type of fear. And the type of fear that the author of Hebrews is dealing with is a fear of death. But Fear has a lot of different friends, doesn't it? it? There's a lot of different types of fears. And here he's specifically dealing with this fear that would keep Timothy from living, fanning the flame, the gift of God, using it to keep him from living unashamed. He says, Timothy, don't be fearful. God's not given us a spirit of fear. You remember John the Apostle says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Over and over and over, we read passages. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I love Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Isaiah 12, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song. and He has become my salvation. I want to give you just four quick truths to remember about fear. Four quick ones. Number, the first one, fear is not from God. Remind yourself of that. When you find yourself crippled by fear, especially in the, the context that we're dealing with, when you find yourself fearful of living boldly for the gospel of Christ, remember where that comes from. It doesn't come from God. Another reminder of fear. Fear looks at the circumstances, not God. Fear looks at the circumstances, not God. Have you thought about that? When you're fearful, you lose sight of the promises of God. You lose sight of the fact that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. You lose sight of reality and you focus on the immediate circumstance. It could be a circumstance of tempted to withdraw because of being ashamed of the gospel. It could be other types of fearful responses by looking at the circumstance. Another reality about fear, when we experience earthly fear, we need a greater fear. You say, what does that mean? Well, we need a greater fear. If, if we had the right understanding of who God was, and we had a proper fear of God in a holy reverential way, it will always outshadow 
earthly fears. Fear's not from God. Fear's looking at circumstances, not God. We need a greater fear. But then fourthly, fight fear with God's promises. Fight fear with God's promises. I was encouraged by this. Tony Marita mentions Acts 18. Notice how you fight fear with the promises of God. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And then notice how he's to fight the fear, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. God promises his protection. He promises his provision. And so what is Paul to do? He's to literally fight fear with what God has promised him. And I want you to think about how that applies to you. When you deal with fear, sometimes one of the most dangerous ways of living is to not recognize the fear thought pattern and to let it dominate you, let it control you. And all of a sudden, you hadn't even considered the fact that your life is dominated by fear and you haven't even combated the thoughts with biblical answers and you're just living in a pattern of repetitive fear. But what do you have to do? You have to keep in mind the truth about fear biblically and here, fight fear with the promises of God. So Paul is telling Timothy, look, God does not give a spirit of fear. And I want you to notice how he mentions this. He says in verse 7, for God gave us a spirit. Now, here's the question interpretively. Is he speaking about the Holy Spirit or is he speaking about a different kind of spirit? Is he saying, for God gave us the Holy Spirit? But I think Edmund Hebert nails this. He says, he regards this reference to the inner qualities the spiritual character wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit enables us not to be overwhelmed with fear, but the Spirit of God enables character that is known by power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I'll tell you that there's hope for the weary if you're weary today. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us other resources. Isn't this something that Paul speaks about throughout his epistles? He speaks about how we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. And, and I've told you the story before, but it always resonates with me. There was a lady, her name evidently was Hetty Green, Hetty Green. You don't meet many people named Hetty, but this lady's name was Hetty. And she had a son, and they lived in an apartment, I think, in New York City, and, and they were really, really frugal. And the story goes that, that they would, that the son, actually, both of the son and the mom became malnourished because of how poorly they ate, and they would neglect the most common needs. Well, people that knew them just thought, well, they are in so impoverished, they just can't live any better. Well, she dies. Well, guess what? The estate they figured out was estimated at millions of dollars. And everybody makes those noises you just made when I said that. Hmm. Because 
it's strange when people who have great resources choose to not live out of them. The Christian life says you have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Paul here writes to a young pastor and says, Timothy, remember something, man. God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. But what God does richly provide, he provides power, he provides love, and he provides the resources of self-control. I'll tell you, the grace of God is so wonderful. Some people, when they sing Amazing Grace, they only think about salvation when it occurred, but they lose sight of the amazing grace that God gives in the day-to-day. The amazing resources he enables his people to live by. I tell you, if you don't understand this, you'll have a mindset that Christianity is a rule book or is a list of things you need to just simply aspire to do or be. But the beauty of the gospel is not only that Jesus Christ substitutes himself for sinners, but that Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection comes to live within us, to enable us to live the Christian life. You see, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is complete foolishness. It's absurdity. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's promise to enable us to live I want you to be reminded of Galatians chapter two this morning. And and we could read this over and over and over, but I pray you'd never get tired of it. And and when we think about the promise of Galatians 2.20, as Paul relates to his life. Now, I want you to think about it. What is the backdrop here? The backdrop is a man who is in chains. Now, think about it. Here is an individual, I want you to imagine that you are overwhelmed by fear and you go to somebody who is about to die and it's out of their hands and they look at you and they give you encouragement as why not to be afraid. It's not just the encouragement of what they give you, it's the encouragement of where it comes from. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says God's given us a spirit of power. This power is the word that literally is great force or energy. It's the word that we get dynamic or dynamite from. It, one commentary says it's the connotation of effective, productive energy. God provides us with his power in order for us to be effective in his service. Stan read in the call to worship this morning. And I want you to think, Paul's writing to the Christians at the church of Ephesus. And here's his emphasis. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says, Timothy, God's given you a spirit 
of power, but not only power, of love. It's described by some as the volitional and selfless love that desires and works for the best interest of the one loved. God enables you to love people that you have no fleshly strength to love. It's, uh, it's not as difficult to be kind to people that are kind to us. Wouldn't you agree? That's what Jesus alludes to. But there's some difficult brothers and sisters out there. And, and no, I'm not looking at anybody in the room. So whoever I look at next, you're safe. I'm not trying to, I'm looking down right now. The, uh, but there's some difficult people. And it, again, I don't trust anybody that can't relate to that. But, but the Christian life is not doing your best to live like Jesus simply in its only form. It is a fellowship with the living Christ in which I come face to face with my inability with the people of this world. I come face to face with the difficulty of loving people on a day in and day out basis. And what does it do? It drives me to the end of myself to look to Christ and in my weakness and inability to love people, to experience his love, to experience his grace, to love, Timothy needed love. We need power. We need love. He says self-control. It can also be translated a sound mind. One commentary says it has the literal meaning of a secure and sound mind, but it carries the additional idea of a self-controlled, disciplined and properly prioritize mind. Another commentary made a great point. Fear or distraction can take control in the complexities of ministry or the intimidation of settings hostile to gospel service. The resulting stress can be paralyzing or contempt to flight. God's spirit imparts steadiness. We need steadiness in the midst of fear. He says, Timothy, understand who you are. Understand the resources that you have in Jesus Christ. And the question I want to leave with you this morning is where do we experience this power and love and self-control? And we've already looked at that answer, but I want you to go back to the opening and I want you to think about how Paul's introduction answers this question. Go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. And notice where we experience this power, love, and self-control. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. In order to live this way, with power, love, and self-control, you need the life of Jesus Christ enabling you to walk this way. But the message of the Apostle Paul was one of proclamation of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Not just the saving life of Christ at salvation, but the saving life of Christ in the day-to-day, -day, in everything that we face. And then he goes on and he says to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so far, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Be willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember your faith. 
Remember your gift. Remember your resources. Never lose sight of your resources in Christ Jesus. I heard a story many years ago, and it was an old preacher had a picture in his office, and somebody that came to him was dealing with fear and dealing with concern. And the old preacher walked the individual over to this portrait that somebody had envisioned of with Daniel in the lion's den. And the picture had Daniel, the lions around him, had light coming from the top. And the pastor looked at the individual and says, what do you notice in this picture? And they started to you know, observe some things. And then the preacher said, in the, in the portrait here, where is Daniel looking? And in that picture, if you've ever seen one where people portray that scene, Daniel's never looking at the lions. He's looking up. He's looking up to the Lord. And I want us to think about that. How are we going to live unashamed? How are we going to live bold? I, we live in a culture that's becoming, and, and, and you, can, you can write this down. It's, it's going to happen. A lot of people's response to the changing of the culture will be to back up a step at a time as it gets more uncomfortable to be associated with the name of Christ. And ultimately, it will not just be a nominal Christianity. They'll depart from Christianity, revealing the fact that they were never even saved. So how are you going to live with the prospect of a culture that has defined Christianity as bigotry? How are you going to live like that? I remember hearing stories from Tim Cassie, the missionary we support, about certain places in Southeast Asia and the Middle East where if you profess the name of Christ, your, your children no longer can go to school. If you profess the name of Christ, you no longer can get paid as much as your coworkers. What's the temptation? I can have my personal devotion to Jesus and not let the world know. And what does Paul say? Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember your faith, remember your gift, remember your resources. And he's gonna continue on through verse 18, giving him reminder after reminder after reminder. And the only way we're going to grow strong and not being unashamed is similar to that painting is by looking to the word of God for strength and by holding our Gaze on what God says is true for the Christian. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how practical and applicational it is in our life. I thank you for your servant, Paul, your servant, Timothy, who are examples of these truths. And I pray that we would look at our own situations. We would look at our own context, whether we're a student in school, whether we're dealing with temptations to be ashamed in the context of being a teenager or whether it's an adult context, wherever we may be, I pray we would understand the implications and we would see the personal application as to how you're calling us to walk with you. And I thank you for the hope that we have in your son. I thank you for the grace that we have to live not out of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. And I pray we would understand that this is the glorious promise of your gospel. 
Help us in our weakness. Help us in our struggle today to fight fear with your promises, to live not with our eyes focused on the circumstances, but to live mindful of spiritual realities. And I thank you that you give us your grace to enable us to respond obediently. And I pray today that we would live with the same mindset of fanning into flame the gift that you've given us, that we'd live boldly, that we'd live honorably before you because of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. He'd stand with me. In these last couple moments, let's reflect on what Paul tells Timothy. And uh, let's think about how the true laboratory of whether or not this clicks and this has an impact on our affections is not going to be in here. It's going to be out there. It's going to be as we live in this world. And so let's pray. Let's pray not only for individual strength, but let's pray as a church that God would make us bold witnesses that are changed by his grace, unashamed for the truth and unashamed to suffer for the sake of Christ. Just go before the Lord. Charlie's gonna be in the hallway there if you've got questions about the gospel or you're in need of prayer, whatever it may be, let's just take time as Mike leads us to consider what we've read. as we leave, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its sufficiency in our life. And I thank you that as we, as we grow in, in, in understanding some of these implications for living, it amazes us at how wonderful your word and how amazing this good news is. And I pray that our hearts would be amazed and that we would worship you in the way that we contemplate these glorious truths. And I pray for uh, that all of us, Lord, would, would, would lean on your promises and we would believe your truth that we read here. And we thank you and we praise you for the work of your son. We praise you for his death, his burial, his resurrection. And we praise you for what it means now for us who are called to live according to these truths. And we give you all of this, Lord, and we ask you that we would be mindful of how to put it into practice in its most practical of ways. I pray for how we deal with our thoughts, how we deal with uh, just situation to situation. I pray our minds would be renewed with what we see here and that we would live according to it. 
We give you this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Uh, next week we'll be starting our class on Sunday night at 6 o'clock next Sunday.